few weeks ago when we looked at um, Habakkuk last time and we started into the, the uh, response from Habakkuk to the Lord's response to him and Habakkuk revealed a lot about himself. So what he understood about God, what he didn't understand about God and then also what he understood about himself. What he knew most of all about himself was that he would have to wait upon the Lord. He'd reached the end of himself, so he committed to the Lord. We finished with this last time. We're going to start with it today. Um, it's, it, I always find it sort of encouraging um, to, to find, whereas... I hadn't initially intended to revisit this point, but waiting upon the Lord felt like something that I needed to start with today. So it was encouraging to find when we were looking at Psalm 27 last week that Glenn also focused upon waiting upon the Lord. So I like it when we have two people from without consultation coming to the same point. I genuinely believe that that is a message that has been given to us from the Lord. It's laid upon both of our hearts to share. So that must be something that we must be prepared to accept and wait upon the Lord um, and um, take that as, as a challenge for us all. So today we're going to look at verses 1, 2 and 3. And it splits itself nicely into two two separate um categories there's waiting and then there is a period of action or acting and then we go back to another period of waiting so we are going to be waiting and then acting and then waiting again verse 1 of chapter 2 i will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what i shall answer when i am reproved don't know what to do. I'm at the end. I don't understand what your plan is. How is this a good plan? I don't get the plan. I don't understand. You can almost feel the meditation, can't you, with Habakkuk. I can't grasp this. And then there's a stepping back. I can't. A realisation, I can't. I will therefore wait. I will wait upon the Lord. I will get myself into the place. Here we have the description. Upon my watch, set upon the tower, the vantage point, the highest point, looking out over um, the horizon, surveying what is before. I can't do this, but I have a God who can. I will commit this to my God who is almighty, and I will wait for his response. I read um, an interesting quote um, from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's very interesting um, because of his medical background. He was a medical doctor before he became um, a, a minister. He moved from medicine to the ministry because he wanted to heal the whole man, not just the body. So he wanted to minister to the soul as well as to the body. 
So he comes at things from a, an interesting angle sometimes. Um, but this one is quite interesting in relation to um, Habakkuk's issue here. It's quite a lengthy quote, so uh, just bear with, but I thought it was quite a helpful quote to, to share. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, If you told God on your knees that you had reached an impasse and that you could not solve your problem and you were handing it over to him, then leave it with him. Resolutely refuse to think about it or talk about it. Do not go to the first Christian you meet and say, you know, I have an awful problem. I do not know what to do. Don't discuss it. Leave it with God and go to the watchtower. This may not be easy for us. We may have to be almost violent in forcing ourselves to do this. It is not the less essential. We must never allow ourselves to become submerged by a difficulty, to be shut in by the problem. We must come right out of it. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. We have to extricate ourselves deliberately out of it and then take our stand looking to God, not at the problem. Now, you might think, and you might not agree completely with everything in there, but what is very helpful is we must take ourselves, or we must extricate ourselves deliberately out of it, out of the problem, and then take our stand, looking to God, not at the problem. Now, that is often where we go wrong, isn't it? We focus on the problem. We big the problem and minimize God. What we should be doing is magnifying God, which will then minimize the problem. What was Peter's problem when he was walking on the water? It's when he took his eyes off the Lord and looked at the waves. The waves became the problem. We can imagine that because I don't know if any of you have seen any of the waves around here in the last few days. They've been incredible. The waves are powerful. But Peter was fine when he looked upon the Lord. When he stopped looking to the Lord and looked to the problem, he sank. So we are encouraged here to wait upon the Lord. Habakkuk knew this and gave up the problem to the Lord. I don't understand. I can't grasp this. Show me the answer. And he committed and he said, I will wait upon the Lord. If, you, if you've read ahead into Habakkuk, you'll see in chapter 3 that chapter 3 is effectively a psalm of praise to God. So his understanding has been enlightened and increased and he is then fully praising God. He didn't understand, so he committed to God and he waited. We've got to understand waiting then as not being idle. So I, I think... I can describe this um, from Habakkuk as active waiting, which we will see in verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say to me and what he shall answer when I am reproved. I will watch to see what he will say to me when I am reproved. So, not only was he going to the watchtower 
to wait for the Lord, but he was actively looking for the Lord to answer. We can also apparently read where we have, I will um, wait to see what he will say to me. We can also read that as what he will say in me. So Habakkuk is saying, I will wait to see what he will answer in me. So the answer will come not only to him, but in him. And again, we can take the encouragement then of knowing if we commit, if we are Christians and we commit our problems to the Lord, the Holy Spirit in dwelling will prompt and will guide from within. The Lord leads us and guides us again through the Holy Spirit to see him as we read in the scriptures. So when we commit a problem or a matter to God in prayer, it is not a case of sitting back and doing absolutely nothing. We must wait upon the Lord to answer, but we must be watching and looking for that answer. It's, it's, it's also quite interesting when you're thinking of this to be on the pulpit here or up on this step or the platform. It's only, you know, one, one and a half feet in height, but it gives you a vantage to look down and you can see all around. So imagine taking the highest point and looking down, what you can see, how far into the horizon you can see, and apply that to a spiritual sense. How can we wait upon the Lord by actively looking for him on the horizon? How is he answering me? Lord, speak to me as I read this chapter today. Lord, help me as I pray to you today. Lord, help me as we discuss this passage in the midweek meeting. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our understanding. Lead us forward. Genuinely pray these things and ask that the Lord will help us to be active in our waiting. Then the Lord will speak to us, won't he? I like when we hear of Elijah, how the Lord didn't speak to him in the storms, but in the still, small voice. He was waiting. The Lord spoke in the still, small voice. We read Psalm 6 earlier on. And as the psalmist is is not complaining, but going through his conditions, he then turns and you can almost see, if you chart it on a graph, how he starts off and he's coming down and down and down. And then his realisation that the Lord has heard his prayer and this, the graph curves up again and he reaches a higher height than he started because the Lord has spoken to him. There's loads of psalms where this happens. I just was skimming through the other day. Psalm 6, 13, 28, 51, 54, 57, 77, and you could have gone on and on. How the Lord answers as the psalmist is praying, as they are waiting upon the Lord. In John's uh, revelation, well, it's not John's revelation, the revelation to John, we read John saying, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Then the revelation comes. This is how it should be with us. We should be waiting for the Lord to speak to us. We should have committed our requests to the Lord and been actively waiting. And then when we are in the spirit on the Lord's day, he will answer and come to us. He waited as well as active waiting. There was expectant waiting I've got a book at home on uh, Habakkuk um, 
It's in the Welling Commentary series, and it's called The Expectant Prophet, which is a very helpful title because he expected an answer to his um, prayer. And the Lord did answer. So, we should be waiting. We should commit to the Lord because if we don't understand or if we need help, we should commit to the Lord and then wait for him and leave the problem with him and wait for him. We should be active in our waiting. We should be looking for the Lord to answer. And we should be expectant in our waiting. We shouldn't just pray a prayer and then move on and forget about it. If we have committed something to the Lord, we should be expecting an answer to that prayer. Habakkuk got his answer. It was not what he was expecting because he didn't grasp. Why are you sending the Babylonians to judge Israel? Why? But the Lord answered him, gave him the answer to to his prayer. He expected and he received. So we should be waiting. But then also there is a time for action and for acting. Verse 2, we see some action. The first action we see is at the start of the verse, and the Lord answered me. So the first action is the Lord answers. Now we've covered this in numerous uh, times, even as we've gone through Habakkuk. The answer to our prayers can be varied, or will be varied. Sometimes the answer is yes, Sometimes the answer might be no. Sometimes the answer might just simply be wait. Not now, maybe in the future. But wait. Here, God answers and gives Habakkuk an immediate answer. Write the vision, make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that readeth it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. And then he carries on for the rest of chapter 2 to explain. So chapter 1, we saw the Chaldeans are going to come, and they're going to judge Israel. Chapter 2, the Chaldeans are coming, they will judge Israel, but I will judge the Chaldeans, I will judge the Babylonians. I'm in control. So whereas he had an answer to his initial prayer, he got a second answer to his second prayer. The Lord answered, and the answer was clear. But again, the answer wasn't the only response that the Lord gave. He gave instructions. And the Lord answered me, and said, write the vision. So he gave him the vision, but he told him to write the vision. And we know, obviously, because we are reading it now, that Habakkuk did write the vision. We have that before us, so we are encouraged to know that. What we have um, recorded by Habakkuk, we are told, is God's very word given to him. So the first action, God answered, repeated the message, emphasized the message, gave more of that message. Then he gave Habakkuk 
specific instructions. Based on the fact that Habakkuk was told to write the vision, and we have the vision written, we can be sure that Habakkuk wrote the vision. So that's the second action. God answered, Habakkuk then writes. And again, as we've said already, this was from God, because he says, write the vision. Chapter 1, verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. That again reminds us that that was the very word of God. A prophet is also known as a seer, someone who sees the future. And how could he see the future? It was given to him by God. So it's his burden, the burden of Habakkuk, but it wasn't to be his burden alone. His burden was to record and write the word of God. His burden then also must have been to share that burden, the message of God. And that is an example for us all. It should be our burden to share the message and word of God. Write the vision. Make it plain. That's helpful, isn't it? That's a reminder to us not to complicate things unnecessarily. Make it plain. Make it simple. Make it clear. So what was the point of that? Why was he told to make it plain? So that there could be no doubt. So that there could be no misunderstanding. So that everybody would be able to appreciate the word of God, what was being said. Make it plain. Write the word. Make it plain. And then write it on tablets of stone. Again, that reminds us of the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? Written on stone. Again, it tells us the importance. Stone is permanent. So if it is written and recorded in stone, it will stand for a long time. If you ever go into a, a cemetery, you can see gravestones that are hundreds of years old and you can still basically make out the markings of uh, um, the writing on, on, on the stones. Centuries later, there is a sense of permanence there. But also, more importantly, as we've seen in other places in Scripture, these things should not just be written in stone. The Word of God should be written in our hearts. And we should be prepared to study the Scriptures, to have these things burnt upon our hearts, to try and remember and learn verses of Scripture. Keep them in our hearts. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So there's an action there to learn, to hold these, not just to learn, to understand and to keep it in our hearts and in our minds so that we don't sin against God. So we've seen two actions. God answered. Habakkuk writes. And then the people... Read, write the vision, make it plain upon the tablets that he may run that readeth it. So there's two actions in that part. Running and reading. 
Now, I read something just as a, as a, a helpful thought around this, suggesting that it was more or less, like, you picture it like a billboard, you know, a big sign that you can see. Here's the tablets of stone. Here's the word of God written on it, plain, clear. Everybody can see it. It was there for all to see. It wasn't just Habakkuk's burden. The people were to read it. Whenever we sort of think about those that run, why do people run? Outside of exercise, why do people run? Because they're in a hurry. Because what they are attending to is urgent. It may be an accident. It may be an emergency. It may be that they need to be somewhere. But it is a sense it gives a sense of urgency. So it should be, when we read God's word, there should be a sense of urgency around God's word. But why would they be running? There's been a few uh, theories around uh, why people would be running here. Uh, and they all make sense. Um, and, and there's probably a measure of truth in all of them. And they, they all fit together. When they hear and read this word, there are some that will run away. They will run, try and run away from the judgment. There will be some that hear it and then run to action, to do something about this. The Lord has spoken. Let us act. And there will be some who will run to warn other people. Be ready. The Lord has spoken. And again, tying in with the, the, the billboard allergy, analogy um, someone has also suggested that those who were running past would be in no excuse because it was there they could see it cast in stone so everybody would see reading the word of God is urgent we we were looking this morning in Sunday school at uh, the rich young ruler and how he asked the Lord what must I do then more and he was told you give give your all away and then come and follow me and he went away sorrowful, for he had many possessions. What happens to him thereafter, we don't know. But he went away that day sorrowful. What would happen to him if he had died on his journey to the next place? If he had gone away unrepentant? The word of God is urgent. It is important that our response is now. If we hear God's voice, don't harden our hearts action an urgent action God answered Habakkuk writes and the people read and the people run either in service or in fear of judgment and that's very much the case today when the word of God is spoken people run to action run to warn or they run away in fear of judgment but that judgment will catch them so we return again to verse 3 for the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So we've had waiting and we have had action. And we are now waiting again. There's an interesting repetition in verse 3 when we are told, Though it tarry, wait for it. And then later on in the verse, or as the verse concludes, it will not tarry. Though it tarry, wait, it will not tarry. The first tarry, or waiting, 
is on our part, it may feel like things are going on and on and there is no end. When the Lord says, it will surely come, it will not tarry, this is the Lord's time. This is God's time. So we are judging things in the first instance. It will tarry. It will tarry. It will take time. It will come. But what we have here is God's time and God's tarry. It will come. So we are waiting and looking forward. God has is saying, I've set the time. You are waiting. You are looking forward. You are waiting. The time is set. Wait for the set time. And at the set time, and not a moment later, it will come. So we are actively waiting again here, aren't we? Habakkuk has been given clarity. He's been given further instruction and guidance. Wait for this particular time. Babylon will come and judge the nation. I will then judge Babylon. The times are set. The two times are set and they will come as I have predicted and as I have said. Look out on the horizon. Listen as the Lord speaks to you in the still small voice. Actively wait. Build your ark. Noah built his ark whilst he waited for the Lord and it period of 120 years. He laboured in that time. He wasn't idle. He was active in his waiting. Be ready. Be ready for when the Lord calls again. This really does, doesn't it, point very clearly to the second coming. Though it tarry, wait, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. The date has been fixed and has been set. We don't know that date. We don't know that time. But that doesn't mean it won't happen. As Habakkuk has demonstrated, he didn't understand God's timings. He didn't understand God's plans. We don't know God's timings. We don't know God's plans. We need to learn from the example of people like Habakkuk because we can be guilty ourselves of saying, surely the world can't get any worse than this. This must be the near the end. The Lord must come soon. It will come. It will not tarry. We don't know the day nor the hour. Look to Habakkuk and commit it to the Lord, and stand upon our watch, and wait, and then be active in our waiting. Have we trimmed our lamps? Are we ready when the Lord comes? When the bridegroom comes, will we be ready? Have you committed your life to God? Have you committed your life to the Lord? Have you confessed your sins? This is the only way we can be ready, to confess our sins, and ask the Lord to take our sins away, to trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, to be our saviour. Waiting again, waiting this time on the Lord and at the Lord's command to wait, to be active.
in our waiting. So we've seen three points there today. Waiting, action, and then waiting again. We have a very good example from Habakkuk of waiting upon the Lord. This has become one of my favourite verses in recent times. Verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Very good example. But if you need another example, Jeremiah prophesied that the Babylonian captivity would be 70 years. And who read that prophecy? Daniel. Daniel read that prophecy. So what did he do? He actively waited for that period to come to pass. Firstly, he waited expectantly, as did Habakkuk. He expected the end to come in 70 years. He waited actively. He prayed that the Lord's will might be done, but he prayed mostly for his sins and the sins of the people and confessed for the nation before God for what they had done wrong. He was actively preparing himself and the people by committing to the Lord with a renewed enthusiasm. And he was ready. He was ready for the Lord to deal and judge and bring the captivity to an end. He was ready at that moment to pray and he was ready to see to the very end. Are we ready? Are we ready for the Lord's response to us as we commit our matters and our cares to him that we cannot deal with? As we commit to the Lord and look to him, taking our eyes off the problem and focusing on our God. Are we ready for the Lord's response, whatever that may be? Habakkuk got his response, not what he was expecting. He ultimately came to appreciate and accept it and praise God for it. Are we ready for the Lord's response? And more importantly, are we ready for the Lord's return? He will come. We don't know when, but the Lord's return is fixed and set and will happen. And no one can thwart God's plans. No one can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Are we ready? Have we confessed our sins? Are we looking to Jesus Christ? take away our sins if not don't delay tonight today is the appointed day now is the appointed hour confess your sins and look to jesus christ to take away your sins amen